Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader, or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Leading Learning Podcast, episode 58 to be specific. And this time around, we're going to talk to Robbie Kelman Baxter, who, among other things, is the author of a very intriguing book called The Membership Economy. But before we do that, we want to be sure to thank Avalar, which, as the sponsor of our webinar this month on learning management system selection, is also the sponsor of this episode of the Leading Learning Podcast. You can find out more about Avalar and its learning solutions at www.avalar.com. So, Salisa, the membership economy has been out there for a little bit. Uh, Robbie's book, and I know, uh, has struck a chord in the audience that we serve. Um, She's talking about membership, if I understand it, as really kind of a a new approach to doing business, a a little different from, say, the traditional association membership model. This is permeating other parts of the economy at this point and is really taking off. That's right. She actually likens it to as significant a change as the Industrial Revolution, sort of saying that we fundamentally changed how we, uh, as organizations, as businesses, interact with customers. So, you know, certainly associations are smack dab in the membership economy and arguably have been there longer than some of uh, the other uh, people and organizations coming into that space. But really, you know, this is everything from, you know, Netflix to uh, the way we bank, just things have turned into really, instead of kind of one-time transactions, really trying to have that long-term relationship with um, with customers so that they really, it does become more of a, of a membership-based economy. So I talked to Robbie about kind of the membership economy overall, and then also specifically some of the challenges and opportunities, the fact that others are now entering sort of this membership space, what that means for associations, the traditional um, membership organization. So it's a great conversation, and I think folks will find it very interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it. I know uh, most of our regular listeners are also going to be very fascinated in this topic. So let's get on to the interview with Robbie. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. And today I'm joined by Robbie Kelman Baxter. Robbie is a speaker and a consultant who's advised a wide range of organizations from startups to big players like Netflix, and she's helped them with growth strategy. And she's also the author of The Membership Economy. So, Robbie, thank you for making time to talk. Thanks for having me, Salisa. And so first, since I only provided a very high level introduction, I want to give you the opportunity to say a bit more about yourself and your work. Yeah, so Salisa, as as you said, I've always worked with companies and organizations on growth strategy. Um, For the last 15 years, 
I've been a, a strategy consultant helping organizations grow their businesses. Um, but about 13 or 14 years ago, I actually worked with Netflix, as you mentioned, and fell in love with their business model, this idea of recurring revenue, this idea of really getting to know their their customers or their, their subscribers or their members, however you want to call them. And all the ways that that kind of business model changed the kinds of people, the kinds of organizational structures and the kinds of tactics that they needed to use. And I realized how applicable what Netflix was doing was for lots of other businesses that were interested in that recurring revenue model. And over the last 15 years, I've worked with all kinds of organizations, not just private um, private sector, but public and private sector, public companies and private companies, um, for-profit, non-profit, big, small, that want to build what I call a forever transaction with the people that they serve. And that's really what I've been focusing on and, and is also the, the subject of the, the book that I wrote. Yeah. And so the book, The Membership Economy, is something that I'm really interested in talking with you about. And so, you know, maybe a good place to start is having you explain um, what you mean by the term the, the membership economy. Yeah, absolutely. The, the membership economy is this massive transformation that we're seeing across virtually every kind of industry uh, as, as there's an emphasis change from ownership to access, from the anonymous transaction to a known relationship, uh, from one-time payments to recurring payments, and from one-way communication to uh, multi-directional communication. So not even two-way communication, but actually when members communicate with one another under the umbrella of the, the organization. So when you, when you look at those four changes, um, there's tremendous opportunity for disruptive entrance into virtually every kind of space. And I call that transformation the membership economy. And so, you know, you mentioned those sort of kind of four characteristics. I mean, what, what are the factors that brought about the membership economy? What's, what's driven this, this change that's happening? I think there's two things. The first is technology and the second is money. So on the technology side, there's been a lot of advances um, in available technologies over the past 10 or 15 years. Um, there's uh, always on devices, you know, your mobile phone that, that we all have with us, um, making it possible to communicate at any point in time with a customer um, and for them to communicate back to you. There's the ability to create and distribute original content at virtually no cost. So, you know, I could create a video today in my office and I could post it and it could be available for the whole world to see. Um, and there would be no incremental cost to that. So that's a big change. The ability to analyze big data, to, to aggregate and analyze data on who your customers are and how they behave and interact with your products. Um, those are a few of the technologies that are allowing us to extend the infrastructure that enables trusting relationships, which is really at the heart of any membership. The other thing is um, the massive influx of capital um, being invested in new business models, um, where very often the new organization does not have to worry about short-term profitability. So, for example, you look at Facebook, right? They didn't have to make money for their first several years 
of being in business. They were given a really long runway to build relationships and trust that are kind of the cornerstone of a forever transaction. And it's very hard to compete against that if you have quarterly goals to hit in order to manage your cash flow. So this influx of capital has brought in all of these new business entrants, many of whom are able to really focus on long-term relationships without having the obligation of managing short-term cash flow. All right. So sort of technology and the influx of money that have brought this about. And, and I know that in the book, you, you know, you make the claim that the shift to the membership economy is, is really profound and that it's as, as big a shift as the industrial revolution. So can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think it was a bold statement. But, you know, when I look at how organization, how many organizations are changing and how rapidly this change is coming about, um, it's really not just changing the way that um, that we as business professionals are thinking about um, the kinds of models we have, how we charge our members, what we offer them, how we evolve our products, but also in the way that human beings, our, our members, expect to be treated. Um, it's, it's really a big change, right? They know that we don't have to depend on physical proximity, sort of time and space. We don't have to be in the same time and space in order to have a trusted relationship anymore. And so this creates all kinds of new possibilities for how people can interact with the organizations that serve them. And this is really a big deal. And so, you know, as we've discussed that, you know, many of the leading learning podcast listeners work for trade associations or professional societies, you know, and membership is what they're, they're all about. They're membership driven. So will you talk a little bit about how the advent of the membership economy impacts associations? You know, is this an opportunity or is this a threat? It's, it's both, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so here's the threat, right? You've been, you know, people listening, we've, you know, have been membership organizations for a long time, really understand how to serve the people who are already members, um, have a lot of loyalty over time, or maybe it's inertia. That is people joined and they haven't really thought about other alternatives, which is what happens in a membership organization a lot. Um, And so you feel like you have these loyal people. What's happening now is that organizations that historically have not been able to build a business model that works on loyalty and long-term relationships, suddenly they're able to. And so they're fighting for mind share because you can only really be super engaged in so many membership organizations at one time. So now suddenly, you know, people are, you know, we have Facebook as an alternative to my association or we have LinkedIn as an alternative um, that are that are cre- that are doing a lot of the same things that that membership associations and professional societies have done for their members. You're also seeing a lot of organizations that are providing, you know, what we call, you know, content marketing, which basically means providing content for free, really valuable content, not advertising content for free in the hopes of building relationships. So that devalues a lot of the content that has historically been the source of revenue for a lot of associations, such as um, continuing education courses, newsletters, magazines. You know, people no longer need to pay to get access to content. So that's on the threat side. It sounds like most of those things. Yes. So, so where's, where's the <laughs> oh, opportunity? I forgot. <laughs> I forgot about the opportunity. The opportunity is that nobody understands membership like professional associations um, and, and, uh, and, and societies. 
And so you have this expertise, number one, and you have the relationships and the credibility with the people. So you have a huge head start over these association, uh, over these these new entrants. And the biggest weakness I see among the new entrants, most of which are for profit, but not all, is that even though they talk a good game about membership, they're very, very focused on acquisition and they tend not to be very good at retention. So they bring a lot of new members in and then they churn them out a year later because they don't really think about how do they build the relationship. So there's an opportunity if organizations that really understand building the relationship get better at leveraging new technology and evolving their offerings to to stay current and, and taking into account what's going on more broadly, you have an opportunity both to keep your existing members and to bring in new members through the credibility that you have through word of mouth and through the existing relationships. Mm-hmm. So some some core experience in really the membership um, model and really um, being able to, to to care deeply about what the the members care about and make that uh, so keep the churn low. Um, you know, I, one of the things that I remember in in the book is you. Uh, I think gave an example of, of Don Sweeney, the, the CEO of the National Restaurant Association, about yes. a question she would ask her team periodically. Um, yes. So the the whole question of you know if you if we wanted to put ourselves out of business, what what would we do? And and so I thought that was a really fascinating sort of exercise as as a way to maybe be dealing with the membership economy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the, um, the, the, the interesting thing about that question is if you, if you take it one step further and you say, what if my best, most strategic team member, even if they're kind of junior, went off with somebody with very deep pockets and somebody who understood technology trends and said, we're going to try to figure out how to make money from the audience that you've been serving with your association? Mm-hmm. That's really the question because what ends up happening is these organizations are picking off the most profitable areas um, and coming up with something that's totally different and that you wouldn't think of as a membership association, but which might be serving some of the greatest needs of that of that professional community or that that trade community. No, I think that's really interesting because there's the the whole issue of the association that sort of feels like they have to serve all their members and 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 deliver so many offerings to be able to to be that um, resource for all the members. Whereas, like you were just saying, if you have um, the luxury of sort of stepping back and thinking, okay, actually, where is it that we deliver the most value to the most members? That that seems like a could be a very refreshing perspective to bring. Yeah, absolutely. Or even where can we have the biggest impact on our mission? I think one challenge that a lot of associations that I've worked with really struggle with is that their their leadership, the board, the most active volunteers um, believe that they their job is to um, make sure that the association continues to serve people like them. Instead of their job being to make sure that the organization is achieving the mission of the organization. So let's say that the mission is, you know, as, as many professional associations, is to protect the quality of that profession, ensuring, you know, jobs, ethics, um, regulatory advantages, and so on for that association, you know, that, that area, to make sure that this continues to be a good career path for people entering and committing to it. 
right? Um, instead of focusing on what usually, you know, the people that have been in the membership the longest are usually older and more successful. So their needs might be around, let's say, succession planning or retirement or, um, you know, managing taxes. Whereas there's a whole, to, to protect the health of that of that space, you would want to be thinking about what's it like to be new to this profession. Um, what are the, what are the pressures from the rest of the world on you know on the U.S. for you know th- those kinds of things. Um, but a lot of times, I think the the board is really focused on the short term and on people that look like them, as opposed to being focused on the long term mission of the organization. It's mm, a very good point. So yeah, to make sure to remain focused on that mission. Yes. So, so again, this is the Leading Learning Podcast. So, you know, I, I feel like I have to ask, you know, what role do you see learning and education playing in the membership economy or, or, or what role do you think they should be playing? Yeah, so it's great. I mean, they're, they're out on the forefront of understanding what it is that their members need in order to continue being successful, um, both for the members that are there today and the people that they need to achieve their mission so I think one thing to be thinking about is beyond the people who are members today, what is the learning and educate and education that is needed for the members of tomorrow? Um, so to really focus on who is it that we want to attract and what is it that they need to be successful. And the second thing is, like I would advise taking what I would think of as a, like a lighter and more agile approach to the creation of of learning and and educational programs. So in other words, not to be in the business of having courses X, Y, and Z, but rather to say we're always on the cutting edge of what nobody else is providing for our members. So so another, you know, something that I've seen some organizations struggle with is they, they create a course and that course becomes really successful and it becomes very profitable and becomes an engine of revenue for the association that everybody depends on. And then some software company or some big professional services firm starts to offer a similar course for free for very different reasons. Like they're doing it to build loyalty or to build connection. They don't care about making money. And suddenly there's an alternative in the market that is much cheaper, mm-hmm. right? And really, if you looked at it, like I always use the, the sibling test. Like if your brother was a member of your association, would you tell them to pay for your course? Or would you say, (laughs) go over there because it's a very similar course and it's offered for free. Maybe it's offered by another organization. Maybe it's offered by um, via online. So the cost is lower, but you still get the same content. And if you feel like it's not truly in your member's best interest, um, you got to let it go. You got to sunset that offering and go to the next offering. And um, in the book, I talk about um, a conversation I had with Kevin Dinellen of the AARP, where they had just introduced their their RealPad, which is a, a tablet device for seniors. And I asked him, "What are you going to do?" The, the reason they they built it was because they couldn't get any of the big um, hardware manufacturers to do it, so they did it themselves. And I said, "What do you do if you know it comes out and three weeks later Amazon comes up with Kindle for seniors and?" Apple comes up with iPad for seniors and so on. And he said, I'd be really happy because I'm not in the software, in the hardware business. I'm in the business of improving the quality of life of Americans over 50. Right. So you can't bet too heavily on a product because you're not in the product business. You're in the membership business. Right. And back to the mission again, right? You're not, your Mm -hmm. mission isn't specific to these products. It's to delivering on on whatever that is. And there's always something that people need to learn. 
right? There's, if you ask your, like, what are you, like members might be struggling with something totally different than what they'd start. You know, they might say, gosh, now it's really easy to take courses on subjects X, Y, and Z, but the really hard thing for me is managing my career, mm. you know, or the really hard thing for me is, you know, applying what I learned to this very different kind of, um, of organization. You know, I used to, you know, like if you think about, let's say like the CPA societies, you know, people used to come into accounting firms um, big and small, but now a lot of them are going into industry. You know, maybe they need a different skill set. You know, those are the kinds of things to be thinking about. Well, great. And so, you know, if you pick up and think about the the horizon, look out to the future, you know, what do you see out there? Do you see kind of more of the membership economy? Do you see another big shift coming? I I think this one is really just building momentum. Um, you know, wherever I turn, I see. Um, you know, virtually every kind of business saying, how do we build long-term relationships with our customers? How do we move to a subscription model? How do we create community among the people who use our products and services? What can we do to make people take off their consumer hat and put on their member hat when they engage with us? And so, you know, this is just getting started, I think. Um, And so, you know, the the challenge is very real of, you know, getting people's attention, getting their focus when there are so many organizations providing great educational opportunities, great content, and often for free. Yeah, so okay, so membership economy here to stay, we've got to figure this out then. Um, and, And so then the next to last question, and this is one that we like to ask everyone who comes on the Leading Learning Podcast is, what is your approach to your own lifelong learning? How do you keep learning and growing your knowledge and skills? Oh, it's such a good question, Lisa. So I, you know, I'm a, a subject matter expert and um, work, you know, for my own firm. So there's no built-in professional development. So I've had to be really proactive at setting aside time and money to continue to develop my my skills and knowledge. And so I actually set aside every year a budget, both in terms of dollars and in terms of, you know, something like one to two weeks out of my year toward professional development. Um, And I look for, you know, I try to think it, you know, this time each year I put together a business plan. And one of the things I say is professional growth. And I think about, you know, what's the area where I want to grow this year? What are some of the options that I might consider and I do that in a very deliberate way. Um, and then I also am in a mastermind group with people that are similar to me. And I also try to read a business book every week. Well, so. that's, that's great. <laughs> what, and what I love, too, is that it's not just the dollars, but it's the acknowledgement that those dollars take time then, too, to invest in that professional growth and development. So that's great that you think through both of those things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the time, the money is the easy thing. I mean, it, wouldn't it be great if I could just pay money and then be more knowledgeable? Right, that's true. Cut out the middleman. That whole time <laughs> thing is just a pain in the neck. <laughs> Absolutely. Just doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Well, thank you for your time. And so the last question just is, if listeners want to know more about you, where would you have them look? Yeah, so I'm easy to find. Um, you know, the book is on Amazon Membership Economy. Um, if you type in my name, Robbie. Kelman Baxter, um, you'll see my uh, my webpage, membershipeconomy.com and peninsulastrategies.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Robbie Bax. 
um, on Facebook at the Membership Economy. Um, so, you know, lots and lots of ways to get in touch with me. And you can even reach out to me on LinkedIn um, and tell me what you're, what you're interested in or what questions you have. And I'd be glad to, to connect with you there as well. Well, great. Thanks so much, Robbie. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. That wraps up our interview with Robbie Kelman Baxter. As we're exiting, we'd like to say thanks once again to Avalar for being the sponsor of this episode of the podcast. You can find out more about Avalar at www.avalar.com. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 58. And while you're there, you will see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of the podcast, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe if you haven't already. We would also be truly grateful if you take just a minute or two to give us a rating on iTunes. To do that, all you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. That'll take you right to the, the spot where you need to be. And we'd really appreciate you doing a review. It helps others to find the podcast. Finally, consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing or you want to spread the word another way, you can uh, pick the social network of your preference and, and spread the good word that way. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.